Blog Talk Radio. Yes, it is that time again. Time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. This is Dr. Ross Green coming to you, as always, from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. We do this every week, um, September through May, um, to help caregivers, especially those at home. Of course, we have a program for educators every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. This one, Parenting Your Challenging Child, airs every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, and it's really a chance for parents and other caregivers who are primarily helping and living with a behaviorally challenging child at home to learn more about that child and come to see that child's difficulties through the prism of lagging skills, not lagging motivation. And to recognize that those lagging skills get in the way some of the time, but not all of the time, and that those lagging skills especially get in the way when they are being demanded by the child's environment. Those situations are called unsolved problems, and the goal, of course, is to solve those problems collaboratively and proactively. And that's what we talk about on this program every week. The call-in number today would be a very good day to call. My plan for the day is to answer the many, many emails that have uh, piled up in the inbox. Um, If we don't get any callers, that's what we will spend the day doing. If we do get callers, callers always take top priority on this program. The number is 347-994-2981. And if I remember, and I probably won't, I'll repeat that number in the middle of the program. But once again, I think I'll repeat it now and get it out of the way. Then, well, we'll see if I remember. 347-994-2981. We do not have any callers at the moment to begin the program, so let's start, shall we? Hi, Dr. Green. I've been watching one of your DVDs. My beliefs and lenses have been transformed. Well, now that, this is me talking now. Uh, You just made my day. Back to the email. I believe your model has merit and want to start using it in my professional life as well as personal. My question is, what are your thoughts on how to handle the behavior during an explosive rage in a nine-year-old? My grandson recently started exhibiting destructive, damaging, intense behavior at home, swearing, putting holes in walls, throwing glassware, urinating on furniture. He started telling my son and his wife he's going to kill himself. He is the middle child, and the other two are children without these behaviors. They are scared and anxious around their brother, I can imagine. A friend gave them a copy of the Explosive Child book, and they totally identified with the concepts. The nine-year-old was recently prescribed two medications by the family doctor. The doctor has just weaned him off of one of them. I'm not going to name the meds, but one is an SSRI antidepressant, uh, and the other one is actually unnamed. They are calling child psychiatrists now to get an appointment as soon as possible. The 
concern is that they understand the model and want to use it. I'm giving them my set of DVDs, but are at a loss when the episodes occur. The rages are becoming more frequent and more damaging. They read the book, but in the midst of the rages, they said he is so violent that they resort to plan A, which escalates the behavior. Help! We are very frightened. They also want a psychiatrist that understands and believes in your model. I suggested that after the evaluation, they can discuss their desires with the doctor and perhaps send a care package. Uh, of course, now this is me talking. That's the whole email. Uh, a care package is uh, something anyone can send to anyone um, containing all kinds of information, including books related to this model, solving problems collaboratively, and um, do it anonymously so they won't know who sent it. Um, some people just don't want the person to know who sent it. If the person knows who sent it, they won't send it. So that's the cool part about care packages. They're anonymous. You can find those in the care packages section of the Lives in the Balance website. But now, back to your email, first and foremost. And I realize that I'm getting to this email a few weeks after it was sent. Uh, if people are concerned that the nine-year-old, your grandson, is going to hurt himself or others, and if their concerns about that are, um, well, if they believe that he's actually capable of doing something, then that's worth a visit to the emergency room of your local hospital, as always, or a call, a call to the um, person who's prescribing the medicine to let them know as well. We don't want to um, uh, take. We want we want to take any uh, verbalizations that a child, um, well, any verbalizations seriously, especially those about hurting one's self or others. All right. Um, so that's that's first and foremost. Here's secondly, and then I'll get to the main question of your email. Um, we got to figure out what's. Actually, this is answering the main question, but indirectly. We have to figure out what's going on here. Can't We don't want to, yeah, I'll answer the question, what do you do in the heat of the moment? But the trick is to not find yourself in the heat of the moment, and something is going on with this kid. So one of the things that I am most interested in here is it sounds like this has come on rather suddenly. You said your grandson recently started exhibiting these Behaviors, um, destructive, damaging, intense behavior, swearing, putting holes in walls, throwing glassware, urinating on furniture. I'm wondering if now that he has been weaned off of the SSRI antidepressant, if those behaviors are still there. Because one question that comes up immediately, medicines can cause those behaviors. If the behaviors are recent, and coincide with the prescribing of the medication, that's one place I'd look. Now, there are lots and lots of other places I'd look, um, environmental, um, but what's going on with this kid that if I'm interpreting your question accurately, that has caused him to suddenly start exhibiting these behaviors? When we figure out what that is, I have a feeling we're not going to find ourselves in the heat of the moment. 
much, especially if those behaviors weren't being exhibited prior to whatever it is we think accounts for why they're happening now. But now to your question, yeah, but in the meantime, what do we do? The advice is the same no matter age of child. Uh, defuse, de-escalate, keep everybody safe. That's heat of the moment. The other things, I, that's the answer. Defuse, de-escalate, keep everybody safe. Now, there are kids for whom uh, that's really hard to do. Now I've got to rewind the tape even further. What specific unsolved problem set the episode in motion in the first place? And when are we going to solve that problem proactively and collaboratively so we don't find ourselves in the heat of the moment? So as you are presumably sensing here, heat of the moment, defuse, de-escalate, keep everybody safe. But the best thing you can do about the heat of the moment is figure out what's going on to set the stage for the heat of the moment in the first place and deal with that so you don't find yourself in the heat of the moment. Because once you're in the heat of the moment, there isn't great advice and there aren't great things to do. The magic is in what we do beforehand. And I've got this um, interesting feeling, I've seen it many times, that especially if I'm interpreting your email accurately, and he is, this is sudden onset, and it coincides with the prescribing of medication, that that might be the first place to start. But I certainly wish you the best. And once again, um, let's make sure we take the um, threats seriously because we um, want to make sure, first and foremost, that everybody is safe. Boy, it sure is hard um, living with a behaviorally challenging child. In many instances, the medication makes things worse. Not all medication can be very helpful, but hard enough to live with a behaviorally challenging kid without things making things worse. All right, here's another email. We're going to get through a lot of email today, I can tell. But once again, see, I remembered the call-in number, 347-994-2981. Surprising myself today. Dr. Green, I've tried Plan B, but my daughter totally dismisses whatever our concern is. She is not bothered about that. It isn't my problem. Worryingly, she seems to have no empathy for us or her sibling who has been ill for the past year. Even when she is slightly more cooperative and we agree to try something, when it comes to it, she doesn't bother trying. Issues are, here's the unsolved problems, getting up on time, getting to school on time, being very rude and argumentative, that would not be an unsolved problem. Those are behaviors that occur uh, in the midst of an unsolved problem, but th that, those themselves would not be an unsolved problem. I get what you're saying. Leaving a mess everywhere. I'd want to split that one a little bit. Not revising or doing homework. I'd want to be specific about the homework assignments she's not doing. Not going for a bath or to bed at a reasonable time. Spending hours on the iPhone computer slash TV. 
I'd word those difficulty um, taking a bath at night, difficulty getting to bed at a reasonable time, difficulty ending use of iPhone, difficulty ending use of computer, difficulty ending use of TV. I'd split those into three separate unsolved problems. She wants her own way with everything. This is my commentary. Don't we all? And is nice when she wants something. Well, that makes good sense to me, too. As soon as she's got it, it's back to the usual. I got it. We are exhausted from our every request. I empathize with you completely. However reasonable, resulting in an argument. How do you get through to someone who thinks that going for a bath at 11.30 p.m. and sometime bed after sometime after midnight is perfectly reasonable if she has to be up at 7 a.m. for school? and wants to do whatever she wants because she is old enough now and it is her life. We are ready to cancel her phone contract, take away her computer, stop her pocket money, and stop her going out. It may or may not work, but at least then we won't feel taken for a ride. Well, that email is full of a lot of things we could talk about. Um, Let's just start where it makes sense to start to me at the moment. I suppose you could punish her by taking away her phone, phone, taking away her computer, stopping her pocket money, and stopping her going out. I think that's going to make things worse. I think that um, I get it that you don't want to feel like you're being taken for a ride, but I also get it that you would like to change things for the better. And um, I think that there's a way to change things for the better without feeling like you're being taken for a ride. Those interventions that I just mentioned in your, from your email are plan, well, those are punishments. And those are efforts to make her do the things that you want her to do. Those are efforts to unilaterally solve the problems that exist between you and her. And I, um, given that she is saying that she's old enough now and it is her life, an attempt to prove to her decisively that that is not true, I'm betting on it backfiring. So I wouldn't do that, especially since you don't have to use plan A. You can try to use plan B. Now, let's go to the rest of the, the email. I've got, I've got the uh, unsolved problems, and there's a meaningful list of them. Another point that I'd like to make is that you're not going to be able to solve them all at once just two or three at a time, so pick your high-priority ones. I'm betting getting to um, – it's not my place to tell you what your high priorities are, but I've been betting that getting to school on time is a big one. And I think getting to bed at a reasonable time is a big one, and you get to decide whether homework is high on your list or not. But those could be up there. So now we've dealt with point number two. Don't try working them all at once. You're not going to be able to, two or three in the beginning. All right, so you are exhausted from your every request. Sounds like you are requesting that she do these things, and that results in an argument. Uh, Apparently, she thinks it is reasonable to go to bed at 11.30 p.m., even if she has to be up at 7 a.m. for school. I'm glad you've tried plan B. 
by the way, and it sounds to me like you do not think that that is reasonable, but now I understand that Plan B isn't working very well for you yet. I don't exactly know why. I can't tell if you're doing it proactively or emergently, but it sounds like you are running into uh, one of the classic things that kids can say after you say what's up after introducing the unsolved problem to her in the empathy step. Um, she's saying that she, she doesn't that the, she doesn't have a problem with the problem. And that need not end the conversation. Don't let that stump you. That's not necessarily a sign that she won't participate in the conversation. In fact, under most conditions, it is just the beginning of her telling you what her concern or perspective is on whatever unsolved problem it is you're trying to talk with her about. I'd roll with it. I'd say, let's say we began, let's say the unsolved problem you were working, and I don't know if that means that she's dismissing your concern, by the way. And by the way, if she's saying that she doesn't have a problem with it, I sure do hope you're doing the empathy step first. I hope she's saying that it's not her problem in response to the, raising the problem. I hope you're not putting your concern on the table first, but that's a good place to look. If you're putting your concern on the table first, then that's actually what plan A sounds like. And by the way, call her from area code 917. I'll be with you just as soon as I'm done with this email. If you're starting with your concern, your daughter's going to think this is business as usual and you are actually not doing plan B. If you're starting with your concern or with if you're starting with an unsolved problem and she's saying that she doesn't have a problem with it, that's just the beginning of her concern or perspective, in which case I would say, uh, so you um, getting to bed really late at night does not concern you. Tell me more about that. I'd like to hear more about where you're coming from on that. Often it's not that the kid won't participate in the process when they say things like that. It's just the beginning of their concern or perspective, and I kind of have a feeling that's what it is because she's saying, well, I don't know if she's saying she wants to do whatever she wants to do because she's old enough now and it is her life, but she may be saying that. And if she is saying that, that's where she's coming from. I got this interesting feeling. I could be wrong about this, like I am about all of my hypotheses. I'm skeptical about my hypotheses, just as we all should be, because we're usually wrong. But I'm going to throw one out there. I think this kid's had a lot of plan A in her life. And she's now doing A back. I could be wrong. There could be a different dynamic in place here. And often people who are now trying plan B to replace plan A become very discouraged because the child is still responding like the caregivers are doing plan A. And it can take a long time before the kid comes to recognize that you're on a different playing field. That is not the time to go back to doing things that are 
what you've been doing all along. And yes, you've got a long list of things you could do to her to bend her to your will, but it doesn't sound to me like bending her to your will is working. So I would not continue with that strategy. You do have another tool in your toolbox. Plan B, we've got to get you good at it. First of all, we've got to make sure you're doing it proactively. Secondly, we need to make sure that you're starting not with your concern, but with the empathy step and trying to get your daughter's concern on the table. Third, we can't work on everything at once. Fourth, if you're doing plan B, in no way, shape, or form are you getting taken for a ride. In no way, shape, or form. All right, let's um, take our caller. Area code 917, you are um, now on the air. How are you today? Area code 917, you may just be listening to the program. Did you have a question? Uh, Maybe not. I'll try again. In a few minutes, it actually doesn't sound like there's anybody there. Let me move on to another email, and we'll see if the person at area code 917 actually does have a question. Dr. Green, I use your model daily at work and at home. I find it has integrated into my everyday frame of reference and language. That's fantastic. I do absolutely agree that proactive dialogue before the predictable behavior is best Uh, I would prefer to call it the predictable unsolved problem, but that's me being picky. Avoiding emergent dialogue is preferable. Back to the email here. However, I have recently found myself asking kids and encouraging parents to ask their kids when they are met in the moment with a problem behavior or a kid looking bad. I've been encouraging them to say, I noticed you. Is there a problem I or we can talk about together either now or later on? I especially find this helpful when tempted to talk Instead, about emotions, you look mad, or why are you sad? I am curious as to your thoughts. I am, as always, delighted to give you my thoughts, um, but you've got it right. Um, Proactive plan B is preferable. Um, You want to make sure you're talking with a kid about problems, unsolved problems, not behaviors. I find that proactive plan B is also the best way to get started because emergency plan B is a very hard way to get started. You're you're going to have more success doing plan B proactively as you and your child are cutting your respective teeth on doing and learning about and practicing plan B. Over time, I have found that um, as people begin to feel proficient in doing proactive plan B, talking in the heat of the moment goes much better. But you still don't want to make a habit of it. I think that you still want to be on top of what unsolved problems are reliably and predictably setting in motion challenging episodes so that you can be as proactive as you possibly can be. And and primarily because uh, proactive problem-solving is more effective than emergent 
problem solving because in emergent problem solving you've added heat and rush to the mix. And those are um, not ideal for the solving of problems. Those ingredients do not help. Does that mean that if you see a child who's beginning to get upset and you weren't prepared for it or wasn't even on your list, that you should not be empathic and do some form of emergency plan B? No, of course, that's exactly what you do because... Well, another option is plan C, just letting it go and finding a time to talk about it later. But your only other option is plan A, and I would not do that in the heat of the moment for most unsolved problems. I think that um, so emergency discussions are great. You just don't want to make a habit out of them. That's probably the best way I would put it. Don't make a habit out of it. It's there if you need it. But being proactive is the best way to get problems solved. Being emergent, not against the law by any stretch of the imagination, just that you want to be primarily proactive. There you go. I hope that answered the question. Let me check again with our caller from area code 917 and see if he or she uh, has something that they want to ask. Area code 917, ask him again. Sounds like you're there. Hooray. Oh, yes, I apologize. I was there earlier, but I um, wasn't familiar with, it doesn't matter, uh, the technology. (laughs) Uh, I'm calling because um, I have a uh, a teenage son who just doesn't, um, you know, want to talk and will become explosive and... um, I've tr- I tried the plan B in a calm time when we were uh, alone and having it was a nice time and he immediately turned became explosive and um and what I'm calling about is uh well, he'll do anything to get people to stop to get people to back off um, for example, uh, with his younger sibling, he'll um, if he thinks the younger sibling's misbehaving, he'll decide to step in and and um, it's just or he'll just explode and start being really aggressive to try to get whoever it is to process uh, his parents um, or so everyone's tiptoes around him. Um, and I'm wondering. Um, how do you get? Uh, how do you communicate with um, someone a, 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 a situation like this where they have speech and language issues? They they have uh, ADHD. They have impulse control issues. They have uh, learning difficulties. Um, how do you get them to recognize that their that the behavior is a problem? Uh, well, you're, answer, you're asking several different questions. One is, how do I get my child to participate in the conversation? The other is, how do I help them understand that there's a problem with their behavior? Let me answer the second one first, because I think it's the easier one to answer. The first one's going to be a little harder to answer, because you've just provided some information 
about some of the things that would make it difficult for your child to participate in the process. But let me do question number two first. You help your child understand that you have concerns about his or her behavior in the define the problem step, the second step of plan B, where you are putting your concerns on the table. When you're putting your concerns on the table, um, you are either explicitly or implicitly, one or the other, but definitely letting your child know that how he or she is handling a particular problem isn't working for you. And so the define the problem step where you're getting your concerns on the table makes it quite clear to your child that the way things are going now is not okay. That's the easy question to answer. The harder question to answer is why, when you try to begin doing Plan B, your child is having difficulty participating. But I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Without naming any names or locations, just let's keep it confidential. What were you trying to talk with your child about? What was the unsolved problem? And now let's see if we can um, do an autopsy on the okay. plan B so that we can figure out what, what why it didn't go well. Okay. Um, um, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. Um, the second, you, you said don't talk about the, the behavior. Talk about the problem. The problem is, I said, the problem I, I, I said was, um, you know, when you um, get home from school, um, you know, I'll say, hi, how was your day? How are you doing? And he'll just say, I don't want to talk. Leave me alone. And and I said, that, you, know, I, you know, that's a problem. I'd like to be able to just check in. We don't have to have a, car, a long conversation. How about just hi? And... It, you know, the the responses then became explosive. Okay. And abusive so, because verbally, and it's like I don't. Um, it's like how do you find out? If I know, I understand that the premise is, if they could, they would. Yeah. But how? How? It's hard. It's really hard to recognize that, and keep saying. It's not being disrespectful or well, hurtful um, or... Right. It is hard. Um, but I guess what you're saying is that if your son could come home and be pleasant after a day at school, he would come home and be pleasant. If he could um, come home and have exchange pleasantries with you when he walks in the door, he would. Now, if he's not, that doesn't necessarily equal disrespect to me. It says that he's having difficulty engaging in pleasantries when he walks in from school um, and that that's a problem between the two of you. So, Yes, you're right. I would have um, 
I started off with the easiest one. I apologize for interrupting, but I decided that that was the easiest, most least least problematic of the of the problems that I had listed. Got it. And I got to tell you, that actually could be a hard one. Here's here's what sounds hard about that one for me. And and of course, one of the things I'd want to make sure of is that you were having that conversation with him proactively, not trying to have it at a time when he was already upset walking through the door. So that's No, no, that's it was like crucial. I said, it was in a very calm we were having a nice time, right. there was nobody else with us. It was Good. Uh, All right. calm. Uh I was doing it in a time when I knew that it was not in the heat of the moment. It was not when the, you know, it was not at all at a time when he was already agitated. Yeah. So let me throw a few possibilities by you. Ready? Yes. Um, for things that it could be. And you can tell me maybe, maybe these are some things that you, um, even though you were doing it proactively, he may have still been surprised by the topic. And some kids, not all, but some need advance warning, and I don't think warning is the best word, but advance notice that there's something we would like to talk with them about and what it is. We don't need to do it right now, but could we find a good time to talk about this particular topic? I don't usually find that backfiring on people. I usually find that, you know, there's no algorithm here. Nothing works well for every kid, but some kids need some advance warning because about advance notice about what it is that we'd like to talk with them about because they're still surprised by the topic even if we're doing it proactively. So that's one thing to consider. I've seen that happen in some kids that that even though we were doing it proactively they were still surprised and it didn't feel proactive to them even though it was calm. It was proactive for us because we knew what we wanted to talk with the kid about, but it wasn't as proactive for them as they might have liked because they they got surprised by the topic. That's one possibility. Another possibility, and I'm, I'm thinking three here at least, and not knowing anything about your child, so there's probably more that, than three. Sorry? Right, and I'm assuming that kids with transitional difficulties would fall into this category that might benefit from the heads up. Yeah, oh yeah, and and you you said he was has been diagnosed with ADHD, kids with ADHD, often have a great deal of difficulty making transitions. And so if you're asking him, even though it's a quiet time to make the transition from whatever he was thinking to whatever it is that you wanted to talk with him about in Plan B, that could be tough sledding. But I wouldn't call that what, what the way he's acting in the heat of the moment. I suppose we could, in very generic terms, call disrespectful. But if that theory that I just threw out there is has any um, resonance, then it's not that he's being disrespectful. It's that he is having difficulty transitioning from whatever he's thinking to the topic you wanted to raise with him, even though you're doing it proactively. So that's one possibility. But there's another thing you told us about him that may also be coming into play, and that is that um, he has speech and language delays. Yeah. And um, it is possible that this is a topic... You know, maybe you ask him to talk about, um, I see that you're calling from area code 917, which I believe is the New York area. If you wanted to talk to him about the New York Jets, and he really liked the New York Jets, and the New York Jets was something he thought about a lot, and he thought about the players, and Mark Sanchez, and DeBrickashaw Ferguson, and Sean Green. I don't know if these guys are even still with the Jets. 
He's got that at the tip of his tongue. If you said to him, do you think the Jets will hang on to Sean Green this year? Um, He might have an opinion on that, and he might be able to state it fairly rapidly. But a lot of kids who have speech and language delays and add to that may have difficulty making transitions. If you ask them about something that they really haven't given a great deal of thought to, you may have the double whammy of difficulty responding coming into play here. So now it's not just difficulty making the transition from what he was thinking to what you wanted to talk with him about. It's also that you've asked him about a topic without necessarily giving him a warning. Um, You've asked him about a topic that he doesn't spend a great deal of time thinking about. It was a surprise to him. The fact that he's unable to respond may be frustrating for him as well. That might be why he's exploding at that moment. Um, So once again, what what language we use to describe what's happening when you ask him has a great deal to do with how you're going to respond. And I would encourage you not to see this, or not to refer to it at least, as disrespect. Now, one thing's for sure. The way he's responding is not the way you want him to respond. That's for sure. I mean, that's a given, right? Yes. Why he's responding that way, we got to decide which lenses we're wearing on that. And if we're wearing disrespect lenses... I don't think we're ever going to figure out what's getting in his way when he's having difficulty exchanging pleasantries with you when he walks in the door from school, and I don't think we're ever going to understand why he's having so much difficulty engaging in discussion with you about that unsolved problem, even if you're doing it proactively. Thinking of it as disrespect is not going to give you that information. Okay, so I I did uh, eventually, um, he... Eventually, he did say, um, you know, I'm a teenager, I'm a boy, I don't want, we don't like, teenage boys, we don't like to talk. And, or, and then also he said, I was, you know, I got, I get car sick from the bus, and, you know, I don't want to talk. You got info, good. Yeah. So, but then the thing is, is if you're thinking of lagging skills and you're trying to identify lagging skills, the lagging skills, would be the transitional difficulties, the lack of he needs heads up, he has difficulty with transition, and he also lacks the the verbal uh, language to be able to communicate and articulate the feelings? Maybe, but here's the deal. Um, We are are now slightly moving past his lagging skills. Um, I think you're probably already, given the diagnoses and the difficulties you've already told us he has, um, my bet is that you're fairly persuaded that he's lacking important skills that would make it difficult for him to, A, exchange in pleasantries with you when he walks in the door from school, and B, talk about it with you. So that's going to be, I think that you've you've certainly persuaded me, and I hope you're persuaded too, that lagging skills are making those things difficult for him. Now, let's move past the lagging skills, because what he's done now that you've just told us about is he's gotten some concerns on the table. I heard two. Concern number one, he's a guy and guys don't talk. I would actually like to hear more about that one. I'm not sure what he means. Number two, he's getting sick on the bus. All right, now uh, we're actually getting to the nitty-gritty of why he may, and now, now we've learned something else about him, he may actually not be in a very good mood when he's walking through the door from school, because at least for one reason, he's sick when he's on the bus, he's getting sick on the bus. So 
Now that we agree that he has lagging skills, let's put those on the shelf. Let's make sure we're viewing him through those lenses. But now let's move on to a finer-grained um, understanding of what specific concerns are making it hard for him to walk in the door and exchange in pleasantries with you when he gets home from school. And I've got at least one of them. He doesn't feel good. My bet is that there's more to it. My bet is that, and I'm only betting here, this is a hypothesis, and I always hate to hypothesize. I'd like to make sure that he has a chance to tell us about it first. But I've got, got to throw it on the table. i got a feeling he may be stressed out about stuff that's going on at school, too. A lot of kids yes. hold it together at school and yes, um, decompensate when they walk in the door. So we haven't heard huh. about that part yet, the stuff that could be going on at school. But look at what's happening here. Let, let's say I'm right. I could be wrong. Let's say I'm right. He's getting sick on the bus, and he's stressed out about school during the school day, but he's holding it together there and just decompensates when he walks through the door. Let's say I'm right. Right. We have just, well, we have just moved way away from the we've just moved way away from the disrespect territory. We got right, problems just, we need to solve. Go ahead. Yep. Okay. Well, the response I said was, "It's okay to say I'm feeling sick. Can we talk later?" Hi, I'm feeling sick. Can we talk later? But that, you know, we that it's just. Well, I don't know yeah. if that solution is going to work because uh-huh. he's already grumpy. I don't know if I would focus my efforts on what he should say when you try to engage him in conversation when he walks in the door and he's grumpy. I don't know if that's where the solution is going to come from. I think you probably want to solve the getting sick on the school bus problem. Well, I think you, yeah, okay. I well, think you I, probably want to solve the things that are getting him stressed at school. And at the very least, I think you need to come to a solution that works for both of you for what things are going to be like when he walks in the door from school and perhaps how long he needs to recover from being sick on the bus and from his stressful day at school before he is able to engage in conversation with you. My bet is that as long as if it got rid of a lot of the challenging behaviors that are happening when he's walking through the door, and if it improved your relationship with him, and if it improved communication with him, you'd be willing to forgo the pleasantries the instant he walks through the door. Am I right? Yeah. Let's come up with a solution for that. The, the other ones, the bus, could be a harder one. The what's giving him a hard time during the school day could be a, a, a harder one and a more complicated one. But at the very least, let's come up with an arrangement that works for both of you for what it is going to look like when he walks through the door. And it could be that the solution is, don't talk to me, give me 15 minutes, and then I'll be okay. I don't know if that's what the solution is going to be. But I don't know if he has to talk to you the minute he walks through the door. My bet is that you're going to be fine if he doesn't. Okay. Y'all got some more problem solving to do. All that well, makes sense? Absolutely. I just, okay, so basically what you're saying is, don't even if they're a teenager, it's unreasonable to expect them to simply say hello. Uh, uh, the teenager part is not it. Um, your son seems to be having difficulty with that expectation. Um, you're going to find a way to engage him in conversation after school 
without doing it in a way that doesn't work for him. And it's going to be a whole lot more pleasant that way than it is if we insist on instantaneous pleasantry when he walks through the door. I think you guys can solve that problem. In fact, here's your standing invitation. Ready? Yeah. As I always do on this program, if you want to talk to him about that this week and call in next week and let us know how it went, you have a standing invitation. Standing invitation, that's what you meant. Okay, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for calling in. Thanks. Um, Always good to hear from folks. Always good to answer those real-life questions live. This solving problems collaboratively stuff works. But you don't want to find solutions that are, what are we going to do when it's already bad? You want to find solutions for what you're going to do before it gets bad in the first place. That's what kind of solution you're looking for. We are done for today. We made it through three emails and one phone call. I would say that's a pretty good day. We'll be back next week yet again with more Parenting Your Challenging Child. I can't wait. Talk to you then.